good time of worship together as we just sing. And uh, you know, those, those songs are words of truth. They're words that describe Jesus, His actions, His love, and His character. And so uh, there's, some, there's something sweet about singing them together. They don't quite mean the same to me at home in the shower when I'm just singing them alone, although I enjoy that. Um, I'm probably the only one that enjoys that. But, but, you know, there's something sweet about doing that together when we come. And being together this morning, we want to look in God's Word and see how the Scriptures teach us, not just as individuals, but also together as God's people and His church. So turn in your Bibles, if you will, to Psalm 23. So we get started this morning carrying on our, our theme, our message series in the 23rd Psalm. A good shepherd, Jesus Himself, our shepherd, and then us being the sheep. So, beginning in verse 1 of Psalm 23, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. So, so far, we've taken those two verses, and we're breaking them down to say, what is it really, I want you really to to focus and zero in this morning on the minor things, the small things. You know, even the small details of God's Word, when you put them under a magnifying glass, or put them under a microscope, have a tremendous impact on our lives and our relationship with God. And that's really what we're doing, is we're taking a very close look. We're examining this scripture very carefully. How does this principle, God, Jesus being our shepherd, and us being the sheep, really help us to live? And I want to focus on the second part of verse 2 this morning. Last time we looked at the fact that he makes us to lie down in green pastures, and we talked about all that that meant. And then today, this morning, we see that it says he leads me beside the still waters. The still waters. What does that mean, still waters? The, the, the word for still there is really the word for quiet or the word for um, peace. And, and remember I told you early on that in Psalm 23, we'll often, almost every line, see the character of God examined. So we're learning a lot about God's character through this psalm. And, and sometimes we can even fit his names into these passages. That's true again this morning. When you see it says, he leads me beside the still waters, or you might translate the quiet, the restful, or ultimately the peaceful waters... That also reminds us of a character trait of God himself, Jehovah Shalom, the God of peace, the God who is peace. Shalom is the Hebrew word for peace, and it really is a concept throughout the scriptures. As a matter of fact, let me give you some homework. If you want to do some extra study, you can turn to Joshua or Judges chapter 6, right in the 20s, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, right in there. Look at Gideon's life and how he learns about the peace of God. And that's where, that's where the scripture calls him Jehovah Shalom, God of peace. But that's what it's referring to. And it has to do with these waters that are peaceful. A peaceful God, the God of peace, is able to lead us to waters in peace, peaceful waters. And the idea really there is sort of the perfectly uh, running waters. And you got to know about sheep. You know, we've, we've learned, looked over and over again how ridiculously silly, simple, and dumb they are. And it's, you know, it's true. We're just like them. <laughs> So we can all be in that boat together. But that's really the point. And one of the things about sheep, when they, when, they, when they go to water and find water, if the water's running too fast, if it's swift running water, or if it's making a noise because it's bubbling, or there's a waterfall nearby, it scares them. So they'll be attracted to it at first because it sounds like water, and they'll run to it, and they get very close, and then back away, and they're scared by the noise, and they will never drink it. Matter of fact, it's been, it's been recorded that some sheep have... have 
dehydrated to death right next to running water because they're so afraid to drink it from, from swift current. But then again, if the water's very stagnant, if it's perfectly still and the sun bakes on it and it begins to what happens? It grows bacteria and parasites come in and there's all kinds of stuff that's dangerous to the sheep. So if they drink perfectly stagnant waters, the little puddles and pools, they'll also get very sick. So the idea here is peaceful waters are somewhere in between. And listen to me, it's the shepherd, it's the shepherd that is skilled and knows where these perfectly running waters are, the still waters, and is able to lead them. Sheep are so dumb that they are not able to find these waters on their own. They would be in great peril if it wasn't for the shepherd. And so the idea here is that the shepherd leads us to these still waters. Sheep need lots of water, and they need it often. Sheep are not like camel. It's interesting, isn't it? Because a lot of the most successful shepherding especially the one we read about in Scripture and and in ancient history, is in the sort of the semi-arid desert climates, Palestine and and the area. And it's interesting because you would think that they could do really well without water living in that area like the camels can, but truthfully they cannot. They need water a lot, and they need a lot of it, and it it has to constantly come. And so it's, it's a very difficult endeavor. The shepherd has to be skilled at knowing, leading them through different seasons. Where are these perfectly still running waters that I can lead them to? Never to be too far away so that the sheep will not be dangerous or in danger. There's a constant need. Now I want to look at how, assen- I want to look at how essential water is today. Can we, let's just think about water for a little bit. And I'm going to start with the physical. Water is essential physically. Okay? Now... As we do this, and we look through this morning, it'll be kind of fun, we'll do this together. As we look at the the physical necessity of water, I want you to always be thinking in the back of your mind, what are the implications spiritually? What does this imply? Because although it's true, we learn a great deal from looking at the fact that physically we need water. That's true. That's obvious, just like sheep do. Psalm 23 is about much more than the physical need for water. When he leads us beside the still waters. That's not just saying that God will always give you H2O, the water you need. There is a spiritual implication. There's a spiritual application. And as we look at the physical, I want you to just keep that in mind. And you can begin to make some of those conclusions on your own. We don't have enough time to look at all of them together. But look at this together. Water brings life. That's how essential it is physically. It brings life. Or the opposite is true as well. The absence of water always leads to death. Think about it. Think about it. Water is life. If you see see dry, barren, cracked, dried up land, is there much growing there? Not usually. And if it is, it's not very um, desirable. We, We don't find all these wonderful fruits and vegetables and all the things that we need in the middle of the dry crackling ground do we but then you begin to add water to it and all the things that were already there perhaps the nutrients and the soil and even if you have piles of fertilizer in the desert it doesn't grow until you add the water and when the water comes it brings everything to life water is that one ingredient that is most central to life so many times making the difference between death and life there's a couple slides i have for you let's show that first one do we have the Here's physically what water does for us. You're, you're going to find yourself walking out this morning thirsty, okay? You're going to, all of a sudden, you're going to go to the restaurant and say, can I have three, four more glasses of water? Just talking about it makes us thirsty. 
you know, it composes about 75% of your brain. It's about 70% of our body water. That's true with the sheep as well. Just put that in perspective. If you take away all the water in me right now, you would take away three-quarters of what I am. There's about a third left at the most. So what would, what would it look like if there was only a third? If you just extracted all the water from me, what would be left? This, this little pile of dried-up rubble that's nothing. There's a whole bunch of us that is water and needs water. It makes up 83% of your blood. It's important in removing waste and composes 22% of our bones. Right? It regulates body temperature, all these things. The, the key element that I want to focus on, and I had to read on this this week because I'm not a scientist, but the idea of metabolism you know, metabolism, water is absolutely central to this process. Now, I had to write it down because I, I don't know exactly what metabolism is and I don't want to misrepresent scientific truth. So, so here's what it says about metabolism and water. I read this week. The sum of the chemical reactions that take place within the cell of a living organism and that provide energy for vital processes and for synthesizing new organic material. That's called metabolism. It's the, it's the sum of the chemical exchanges that happen on a cellular level, you're right, you with me? Mainly for the purpose of energy, creating energy. That's what leads to life. So without energy, there's no life. All parts, systems, operating areas of your, Bible, of your body require energy. Energy comes as this metabolism process occurs, and water is right at the very center of this process. I read that water is the perfect medium that facilitates the flow of, watch this, nutrients, chemicals, antibodies, oxygen, and waste. Those things are transported across the cell primarily through water. And so what happens is, if you take away water, there's a lack of water, these things begin to slow down, and, and they get bogged and clogged, and they begin to contaminate, and toxins build up, and there's an extreme amount of unhealthiness. When you don't have nutrients flowing, chemicals build up, the antibodies don't get to where they need, oxygen doesn't come through, so energy isn't as efficient, waste builds up, and what happens? There's no energy. And every system of the body needs this energy. Water affects fluid movement in the body. They call it turgidity. It's the cell structure. Did you know that cells are three-dimensional? They're small, but they're three-dimensional. And if you take away the water in the cells, they implode on each other. They fall apart, literally. It's the water that holds them in place and in structure. Just think about it, guys. I know we're not scientists, okay? Not going to be a quiz or a test on the science. But, but just make some application here. The water is what gives the proper solid structure for the cells to be able to connect with one another and build tissue and carry on life at the very cellular level. Water is important. Let's, next picture there. Let's look at what, what it looks like without water. You just look at that picture. You start getting thirsty. Could you imagine being out there in the middle of the desert in the 125 degrees? And it's hot and dry. And by the way, there's no sign of water anywhere nearby. 
and you just walk on and on and on. Just think about what happens to your body. <laughs> think about what happens to your mind. Before you know it, in a situation like that, when you first started off, you, you were noticing the, maybe the, the wind and the sand and, and having a conversation with your buddies. But after day one and day two, let me tell you something. If you've ever been there, there's only one thing on your mind. That's water. It consumes. It preoccupies every bit of mental energy. And you, you begin to crave. You begin to thirst. You begin to need it. I want you to experience that in your mind. The next one there is a town, a little village built. Could you imagine living in a place where there was no water? There's no water. So all the things that you have to do for sanitation, no water. Your, your own personal health, well-being, vitality, no water. But that's where you live. Could you imagine that? You see, that's what, when David writes in Psalm 23 about the, the shepherd leading us to the still waters, that's the environment they live in. That's the world they exist in. Water is the center of everything. It's not like America where you just turn on the tap and water comes out. It, it literally determines activity of your life socially, economically, politically, all surrounding water. Now, you got, you're thirsty now? Everybody's looking at that picture, getting your, your mouth dry. Okay, show the next one just to give everybody a little, there you go. Now you feel better? Do you see what happened? Now, you know, probably not everybody in the room, but I would, I would venture a guess that when we looked at those dry, arid, dry, dry pictures, it, you're, you physically were affected somewhere. You started, ah, that's, you're, you're uncomfortable with that thought. And then when, when we show this picture of the, the water just, you know, refreshingly falling into the glass and it's just bubbles and overflowing. Doesn't that look good? Isn't there something that, that you just, you want to reach out and grab that thing and take it and drink it? That's, that's how water plays into our existence. That's how central it is. It determines our vitality, the strength, the vigor in life. Dehydration affects every area. By the way, Think of some symptoms of dehydration, just in your own mind. What happens when you get dehydrated? Some things start to happen. Do you, do you know that uh, scientists will tell us the first symptoms that, that you sense have to do with the effects of each cell getting dried out and beginning to implode on themselves? Because the water is what holds them up. And so it begin, they begin to cave in and fall on each other. And those are the first symptoms physically that you feel that, uh-oh, I'm thirsty. You see, it happens at the very core level. Now, begin to make the spiritual transformation here. What does that imply for us spiritually, in our soul, in our well-being? The way that God has created us, we also long for and need to be refreshed. There's a, there's a, at a spiritual cellular level, if I can say that. There is a need for water so that things can happen that have to happen spiritually, that have to be present in our relationship with God, that have to be active in our life as we learn to follow God, that are just as valuable, that are just as critical, that are just as essential as water is physically. And that's why he uses this analogy. 
Sheep are made aware of their lack of water by what's called thirst. (laughs) Thirst drives sheep. If they get thirsty, if the shepherd allows them to get thirsty before finding water, they will begin to wander. They will begin to seek it on their own. They get crazy-headed. They get, they get, do you think they're dumb when they're not thirsty? When sheep get really thirsty, it's like they turn into, like, there's nothing but water and I can't hear anything, see anything, do anything other than just randomly wander looking aimlessly for water. That's what happens to sheep. So aren't you grateful that as you and I are sheep and we and we get thirsty. Listen, when there's a longing in our hearts to be satiated and refreshed and connected with God, and that is not met, we begin searching and wandering aimlessly to try to fill that thirst, to try to quench what we're longing for. But the good news is that Psalm 23 tells us that because he's a good shepherd, because he is my shepherd, I belong to him, I don't want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures and he will lead me beside the still waters. He will be for me, lead me to what I need to experience to be refreshed. It's essential physically. But now I want to show you water is also essential for the soul. And that's where we're going to spend a lot of our time this morning. Did you guys know this? The human soul has a great capacity for God. Did you know that? Think about what that means. The human soul, that's, that's you. The part of you that we don't see. The part of you that doesn't always come out and other people always, don't always know of or, or see right away, right? The, the inside, your identity, your being has been created by God. So it didn't, didn't morph. It didn't accidentally evolve. It was created wonderfully, dynamically, creatively by God himself with this in mind. Inside your soul is a huge, tremendous capacity for God to insert himself. That's how you were created. That's how we exist. And when, listen, when in our life, because of whatever happens or we're wandering or, or we're not walking with God or we're not experiencing that, when in life we do not experience the constant ongoing filling of God in our soul, guys, we thirst. Oh, we thirst. How do you know that's true? Well, you should see how many people turn to alcohol in our country when they're lonely, when they're frustrated, when they're depressed. Do you know why drugs are such a rampant problem? Do you know why? It's right here. Because the human soul was created with a huge capacity and thirst for God. And when we don't have it, we go searching for something else. That, listen, that's what it's all about. Um, I was talking biblical counseling with a friend, Dr. Comfort here. We've been talking about it a lot lately, and I think he would agree with me. Um, you could sum it all up like this. 
when people are empty because they're not in fellowship and walking with God, they come up with all kinds of creative, dysfunctional ways to fill that need. That's what dysfunctions are. That's why we're insecure as people. That's why some of us are bitter and angry. That's why some are argumentative. It's because somewhere deep down inside, somewhere we long to experience something that isn't within us who we are now, that has to come from the outside, and so we go searching for it. That's what thirst does. It causes us to search for a quenching, a satisfying that comes from outside of ourselves. But just understand, folks, that that's the way that you were created. Refreshed. Rejuvenated. Your well-being found in God. Turn to Psalm 36. Let's take, let's take a quick look at what this looks like. Psalm 36. I want to show you. In life, there are times when you are experiencing circumstances or something's happening in your life right now, and it's causing you to come up dry, to come up wanting. To, there, there's something that you need outside of what you can do for yourself because of where you end up in life. Are you with me? Because of the situation that you're in. And, and look at verse 6, Psalm 36. This is about God. This is, your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your judgments are a great deep. O Lord, you preserve Man and beast. Verse 7. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. They are abundantly satisfied with the fullness of your house. See, see, you imagine somebody thirsting here and then being abundantly satisfied with what? The fullness of God's house. And you give them drink from the river of your pleasures. For with you is the fountain of life. In your light, we see light. You see what the psalmist is saying here? He's saying, look, it begins by saying, your righteousness is like the great mountains. Your judgments are like the great deep. Your rightness, your way of of thinking and seeing what's right in your mind is so far above mine that it's like if you're a squirrel looking at the mountain ranges, there's no way you can overcome that. It's that far above. And your judgments, how you take what is right and show what it looks like in everyday life, your judgments, God, what ends up being right here on earth, is so far deep, it's unsearchable. It's past my own finding out. You see, God, your righteousness is so far above me. Your judgments and how you apply what's right is so far below me, I can't even reach it. You guys see that? See how how vast and huge? Look at the contrast. Between us as the sheep and God as the, the creator. Now, that's unsearchable, unapproachable. But watch what the psalmist says is very personal. The next line, verse 7. How precious is your loving kindness, O God. See it? Look, God, your righteousness is so far above. Your judgments are so deep. But watch this. But how precious to me right here where I can access it and gain it and experience it and it's not hard to find is what? Your loving kindness. I want to show you this, church. It's the loving kindness of God 
that fills our soul, that, that refreshes. That's, I don't know how to apply God's righteousness without his loving kindness. I don't know where his judgments fit into my life. I'm overwhelmed. It's too far, too deep for me, except for through his loving kindness. You guys understand that? If it wasn't for God's, think about the word, loving kindness. That means his love, which he gives to us sacrificially. His love to us, sacrificially being given, is kind. God's love takes you into account. God knows you and understands you. God's love comes in a personal nature. That when you're experiencing those things in life, like, I don't know how I got here. I don't know how to face what I'm doing. I don't know how to navigate what I'm walking through right now. And God's righteousness is so far above and his judgments are so far deep. How is it that I'm going to be quenched? How is it that I'm going to find identity? His loving kindness. Because he cares. In fact, oftentimes, church, oftentimes, God will lead us Places that seem dark and dry so that we can get to the still waters. There are circumstances, there are situations that you're going to walk right into. I, I wish as the church, I wish we could really learn this right here. And the reason we walked right into them was because we were following the shepherd. He's going to lead me into those. He's going to lead me to places where I can no longer hold on to my own righteousness. I can no longer rely on my own reason and my own best thinking to apply. Well, what is God's will? What is right here in God's mind? There's some place God's going to lead me to where I can no longer do that on my own. But what's precious to me at that time, what I'm thirsting for, what I'm longing for, is his loving kindness. He shows me. He holds me by the hand and he walks me through in my time of need. Well, let's see what happens. How precious is your loving kindness, O God? Watch it. Therefore, the children of men put their trust under the shadow of your wings. Because I don't know where to go, because I don't, I'm outside of myself, I can no longer do it on my own, then I choose, when I choose, to put my trust under the shadow of his protection under the shadow of his wings, continue to rely upon him and walk with him, that's when his loving kindness is so precious to me. Folks, that's when God becomes real. That's when we're nourished. That's when we're replenished. That's when, that's when we're revitalized in life. You see, those circumstances that you're facing right now shouldn't be draining you. They shouldn't be viewed as a, a nuisance and an annoyance in your life. Sometimes they're there because God uses them to allow you to see that in this dry and barren circumstance that I'm in, there's a huge fountain of living water available for me if I will continue to put my trust in Him. If I walk according to what He tells me each and every morning, abiding in the light of who He is, in your light we see light. Folks, it's a process. We learn to choose to trust God in life. Now, stay with me. When we choose to trust God in any given situation or circumstance, 
That's where we learn of his faithfulness. That's when his loving kindness floods in and fills up from the fountain of the living water. That's, That's when you taste and see and know and you're refreshed. Have you ever known anybody in the midst of personal crisis? I mean, crisis like you and I wouldn't want to be part of. I, I don't want to be. I would. I feel. Whew, can you imagine if we had to walk through what he, she, what are they going through? I could never do it. I don't understand. And you look at them. And have you ever, have you ever known anybody that they're just, they're at more peace than you have ever known them in the midst of their biggest crisis? Have you ever? No? Some of, some of us haven't known anybody like that. That's, that's a sad testimony. Some of us have. And you think, what on earth is happening in the soul of a person who's in such a dry, barren, cracked circumstance? It's because they're choosing, step by step, to trust in the ways of God as he reveals himself to them. And it's as if the shepherd is leading them by the still waters. Folks, I want you to know, your soul, yours, has a great capacity for God. And those are the times when God comes in and fills up the void of who we are with the glory of who he is. The results in our life looks like fruit. It looks like life. People are drawn to that and people see the glory of God in that. Turn to Isaiah chapter 12. Let's continue this journey. Oops, almost did it there. Psalm 36, 37 showed us this contrast between who we are and who God is. And yet in his loving kindness, we meet him personally. We're we're refreshed. Isaiah 12 shows us again how we access this living water. Begin in verse 1, Isaiah 12. Look at it. Oh, Lord, I will praise you. Though you were angry with me. Let's stop right there. Is it possible that God could be angry with you? It's a tough question in church, isn't it? You wanted to hear something a little more entertaining this morning, I know. Is it possible that because of your own waywardness or your own choices, that what, what you would be getting is the anger of God, the, the judgment of God? Does he have the right to be angry with me when I sin? Yes, he does. Absolutely, he does. Does he have the right because of my disobedience and my imperfection to cast me far away from him so that I don't experience the goodness of who he is? Does he have that right? Do like this. That's called being holy. But watch what it says. Though you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. (laughs) And you comfort me. This is a passage. You you ever sit across the table from somebody who has experienced... uh, trauma, crisis, and and we don't mess with this lightly, loss of a loved one or something significant. And they say, how could a loving God do this to to me? How could a loving God be so? It's a good question. Here's the answer right here. Because although he has the right to be angry with me, 
Instead, he chooses to comfort me. That's the grace of God, church. That is the grace of God. It is God's nature. It is in the heart of the Father, our good shepherd, to not give us what we deserve, but to give us what we don't deserve instead because it's better for us. That's the mind of the Father. That's the heart of God. That's who the good shepherd is. But, but it's found in grace. It's found when we, when we learn and when we experience that what I can do and what I accomplish on my own is not good enough. It truly is not. There's no way I can fill this empty yearning in my heart myself. I can't put it together. I can't engineer it. I can't do it all right and figure it out. There's a hole still there no matter what I do. And I fail. And the hole's still there. And I'm still thirsty. And the Bible says that God, instead of his anger at that time in our lives, comforts us. Let's keep reading. Verse 2. Behold, God is my salvation. Mark that right there. Salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For Yah, the Lord, is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. Mark that word salvation again. Therefore, with joy you will draw water from the wells of, yeah, you guessed it, salvation again. Mark it one more time. This is a passage talking about what God did for us, does for us, that we cannot do for ourselves. Salvation is the perfect example. It's the classic. It's the standard. Watch this. Your salvation, forgiveness of sin, and receiving eternal life, is never based on what you do or don't do, right? Right? I'm in the right church? Okay, I want to make sure we're all on the same page there. All right? We already know that if we will trust Christ, Jesus, his death on the cross, the payment for our sins, by faith, he will forgive us, come into our lives, and give us everlasting life. Not because of what we did or didn't do, but because of what he did, and we choose to accept it. Right? That's the wonderful news of faith. That's the foundation of our relationship with God. That's salvation. Think about it. Think about it. Stay with me. What does the word salvation, the concept salvation, imply? It implies that in the humanity of, of life, that there is people who are in desperate need to be saved from something. From what? From themselves. From judgment. From hell, God has every right to be angry, to judge us. We're in desperate need. We're like drowning in water, and there's nothing to grab onto. We need humankind, you, your soul, needs to be saved. You were created that way. He knows that. And the part of God that says, listen, there's no way you're going to save yourself, so let me intervene here. Because I love you so much, I will give you what you don't deserve. I will pay the price for your sins. I will do it for you. Now reach out and grab hold. That part of God, that's called his grace. You with me? That's called his grace. Now here's what I want you to know. As humans with our soul thirsting for God, you are satisfied and refreshed by his grace. Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for Yah, the Lord, is my strength and my song. You see that? Hey, listen. 
Did you mess up this week? Anyone? Did anybody find out this week that you are not perfect? I should probably ask it the other way. Did anybody learn this week that you are perfect? I'd like to, like to just see who, who that was. No takers on that one. So I'll assume then by default that all of us learned or at least understand that we are not. Anybody experienced that this week? Failure? You made a mistake? Well, let's call it what it is. You sinned against God. But it, was, but it was just a little sin. No, 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 no. You sinned. You chose your way instead of God's way. You listened to the world instead of the kingdom of heaven. Right? At some point you, you let down God and, and you thought, or maybe you didn't, but now you are. I really let him down. I, I failed. You know, it hurts our pride. It hurts our, our I, I think I'm okay because of who I am. I can do it myself. That, that really hurts that part of us. Listen, hey, listen. That failure this week, let it hurt that part of you right now. Let it do its work. Yes, your failure hurts your independence. As a matter of fact, if you follow it through, your failures, your sin, will crush your independence. Let it happen. Watch what happens now. When we receive forgiveness, confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us, forgive us all of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness, First John 1, 9. When God forgives based on his nature and his grace, watch what happens. The dry, parched, miserable soul is refreshed. That's, that's where confession brings cleansing because you, it's, it's when God extends grace. It's that part of him when he gives it to us, when we live there, when we remain there, that's the part of him that's like, like a fountain of water pouring on dry land, a dry heart, a parched soul is refreshed when God extends grace to you. Did you guys know that's who he is? Come on, church. Did you know that that's who God is? He is a God of grace and tender, loving mercy and kindness that even though he's holy and just and his righteousness is so far above the mountains and his judgments are so far deep below, they're unsearchable, even though that's true, he still cares about you personally, even when you fail. And when he extends his grace to you, when you return, when you trust him, you're refreshed. Did you know that's who God is? Did you know that's what David meant when he wrote in Psalm 23? He leads me beside the still waters. That's exactly what he meant. I want to I show you one more thing. I hope we have time for this. Here we go. The last um, part of verse 2 there, look at this. It says, for Yah, the Lord is my strength and song. He also has become my salvation. That's a quote from Exodus 15. It's a song that Moses was singing in Exodus 15. Did you know that? And Moses was singing a song of praise in the book of Exodus, because why? Because there was an exodus going on. They were delivered, they were, watch this, saved from Egyptian slavery, set free, not because they deserved it, but because God is a gracious God. And that's, that's the context 
that Moses is singing this great song about how faithful God is, how strong he is, but yet how much his strength and faithfulness has refreshed my own soul personally and the soul of our people. Happened during the Exodus when they were out in the wilderness. Now turn to John chapter 7 very quickly. I don't have a long time to do this, but I do want to show it to you. You with me? Come on, church. We've got to think fast because I don't have much time. You with me? All right, check it out. So what happened was we just read a quote about God's grace when Moses was singing about it after being delivered into the wilderness, set free by God's grace, right? John chapter 7, verse 37. Now here's what Jesus says. So many years later, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, now hold on just a minute. Here's the last day of the great feast. This is a reference to the Feast of Tabernacles, okay? In Jewish life, they're all in in Jerusalem. They're at the temple worshiping, and this is the Feast of Tabernacles. What are the Jews celebrating right here? Tabernacles, the tents, the little booths that they set up when they were out in the wilderness because God had delivered them from what? Egyptian slavery, the exodus. You could say, you could say that Moses would have been singing his song in Exodus chapter 15 while they were living in these booths, in these tabernacles, that now, so many years later, they're celebrating called the Feast of Tabernacles. Do you see the connection? It's that last day of the feast. It's a seven or eight, depending on which line of orthodox you come from. It's a seven or eight day feast. And on the last day, the seventh day, each day they had come and they had taken water from the pools of Siloam, poured it over the, the altar of sacrifice. On the last day, they bring seven pitchers, seven golden bowls of water. And they bring it up and there's this frenzy of celebration. The Jewish people are singing the Psalms of Hillel. They're singing these great Psalms of praise to God over and over. And they're like, this is like the greatest celebration time in the life of Israel. Everybody's excited. Everybody's celebrating. And they dump these seven pitchers or bowls of water over the altar, symbolizing God's incredible faithfulness that when he loved us, even though we didn't deserve it, he delivered us, and then he cared for us in the desert, in the wilderness, by what? Providing water. And he washed us. On that day, with that feast at the center of everybody's attention, Jesus stands on the steps and says, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me. He who believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Jesus is saying, listen, all that we're celebrating right here about the grace of God the Father and experiencing the strength of knowing that he cares and provides for you when you need it the most, all of that, Jesus says, that's who I am. Do you want to be refreshed? Do you thirst? He says, come to me. Our living relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ is the water for your parched soul. That's a daily need. You don't just get water once now and then, and then a little bit more next year during revival and then maybe when something happens two years from now a little bit more because you decided to turn to him. That's not when we're refreshed. It's every single day we thirst and we need a living relationship with the one who has died for us, with the one who gives life, with the one who satisfies
There's one more point that we need to see, and then we'll close. Physical need is essential for water. There's an essential need for water in the soul. But what happens when we're thirsty? What happens when we turn to something else when we're thirsty? I want you to turn to Jeremiah chapter 2. It's where we're going to close. Jeremiah chapter 2. See, man, we got around a lot of Bible verses this morning, a lot of passages in Scripture, almost like it's important. Like we might need what's written in here. Hey, God, listen, church, did you know that what we read about, what we study, what we learn actually brings life? It, it, it actually helps us? That's what these sermons are about. Okay? Jeremiah chapter 2. When we're thirsty, what happens when we look for ease? We look for ease. Um, look at verse 11. I'm just going to focus on these couple of verses. This is when Israel turned from God and turned to idols. Okay? Look at what God says. Verse 11. Has a nation changed its gods, which are not gods? But my people have changed their glory for what does not profit. He's talking about when the children of Israel already learned of his faithfulness, his great grace. This is an awesome God. Yeah, we celebrate him all the time. But you know what? Sometimes it's hard to keep relying on God. And look at those other nations around us. Look at those people. They don't have to turn to the living God and go through all this sacrifice. They just they make these little idols, these little, these little dolls and wooden figures. And it's easy to make that. Listen, you just put it on the mantle and then you, you burn a little incense to it or sacrifice a little animal to it. And before you know it, you're on with it. It's so much easier to handle. You can control an idol. It's easier. Listen, just because... Jesus Christ is the solution for your thirst doesn't mean it's always easy. He will lead us to dark places. He will lead us to dry land. There are times of testing, of stretching ourselves out to see what we're not made of so that he can replenish. I think some of you will learn it is difficult to keep up with your experiencing God study Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. Five days. You know how many, of us, how many of us have fallen behind already? Well, listen, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm saying because it's not easy to spend time alone with God every day. It's not easy to have your quiet devotional prayer time and in the Word every single day. No, it's not. But that's what brings the quenching of our thirst. And when we turn to what's easier, there, well, there must be an easier way for my thirst to be quenched. I'll do like my, like my neighbors do, or like people at work do. I'll just, I'll just try this. Keep reading. Verse 12. Be astonished, O heavens, at this, and be horribly afraid. Be very desolate, says the Lord. Is this a good thing? Hey, look at me for a second. Is this a good thing we're about to read of? No. Be horribly afraid, he says. Be very desolate, says the Lord. Look at verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and hewn themselves cisterns, broken cisterns that can hold no water. See, when we look for ease... 
but also when we turn to dirty watering holes, we're still thirsty. When we're thirsty and we turn to dirty, there's, there's other solutions. Look, 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 my people, first they forsook me. They looked outside of me to provide for them, to fill them, to satisfy their longing to be okay. They looked outside of me. And then not only did they look outside of me, but beyond that, they started building some, watch this, building some system, some structure in their life to where they would go to so that they can have their own water to satiate their soul with, to satisfy them with. Do you know how many times our own hobbies take that place in our life, men? We, we build our hobbies so many times, so many times, because if I just keep investing and building in that hobby, it makes me feel okay. If I can be seen as somebody who's really good at this or become an expert or have everybody's respect, you know what that is? That's building a cistern of water from which I can go to and try to draw and quench my own thirst, satisfy my own soul. And we invest in those things. We build them. Our careers sometimes. Our marriages sometimes. What does he call them? Idols. Anywhere you go to be satisfied in your soul outside of the Lord Jesus Christ can become an idol. And you've learned this. Come on, folks, you've learned this. What happens? We build these things up and spend so much time and invest them, and it says it's like they're broken and they hold no water. Idols can hold no water and they will leave you empty. They will always lead you thirsty. What are you holding on to right now? This week, what have you been looking to? I'm not okay. I'm unsettled. I'm upset. I'm depressed. I need something. What are you looking to to fill that? Come on, be honest. What are you longing for? It's possible that many of us, if we ask ourselves that question and look into our lives, we'll see that we're holding on tightly to an idol something in our life that we're looking to for relief, for satisfaction. That's not God. Fortunately, when we see that, all we have to do is let go and drop it and turn to the Lord and ask for forgiveness. Because what? Oh, that's where grace comes in. And grace is the way that we're satisfied. Uh, let's, we're going to have a time of prayer here in just a minute. But here's what I want you to do. Someone in your life, somewhere, you're still it's dry, you're thirsty. You're not getting out of it what can fill your soul. Nourish you deep, deep down to where you're okay. Now Watch. This morning, right here, right now, you're just going to let it go and let it drop and let that cistern, that little well, let it crack and crumble and dissolve into nothing. You're not going to hold any water there anymore. You're not looking for water there. You're not going there when you're thirsty. 
And you're going to turn this morning instead and say, Lord, you are my shepherd and I shall not want. And you make me to lie down in green pastures. And this morning, you will lead me beside the still, perfectly refreshing, everlasting, life-changing waters. And I trust you. Let's pray. Do that right now together as a church. Father, I, I, I pray this morning that we see you and know you for who you are. We understand your character. For those that are here this morning, maybe your prayer is you've never been satisfied with everlasting life before. You don't know what it means to have a relationship with Christ, to be saved from your sin. Let me first help you. Would you, would you just simply reach out this morning and accept the free gift of salvation and forgiveness through Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection? as the payment for your sins. Would you do that? Simple prayer, just like this. Pray with me. I, I know that I sin, and Father, my sin keeps me from you. I deserve to be judged. But, but you offer forgiveness and, and eternal life instead because Jesus died for me and paid the penalty for me. And I choose to believe and receive this morning. And for the rest of us, wherever you are in the room, uh, just letting go of idols and turning to fountains of living water. The altar is just a place of prayer this morning. Would you come forward? If God's speaking to your heart, if there's been some scripture that is meaningful to you, or you just sense that, Lord, I need to see this today and this week. I need to, I need to receive this truth. If the Lord's speaking to your heart, you want to come. Perhaps somewhere you're dry and thirsty. It's a relationship. It's a situation. And you just want to come forward and say, Lord, you said, if anyone thirsts, come to you. I'm coming. God, speak in your heart. You come. Thank you for being uh, everlasting, never-ending water for us, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being this fountain. That we're refreshed and renewed and find joy and peace. We turn to you today as a church. Take refuge in the shadow of your wings and what you can do for us. We trust that alone to satisfy thank you and praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen? All right. Would you take out this response card, if you would, guys that are going to help with the offering, if you'll come forward at this time.
I want to call your attention to the back of the card. There are some options for you to respond. Maybe you'll check one of those boxes if that's meaningful to you or share a prayer request or what is it that you would give to God this morning? What are you responding to? What are you saying yes to? Write that down on your card and we're going to put these on the offering plate as it comes by in just a moment. Guys, if you'll come forward. This is our offering to God. And then I want to challenge you and encourage you to be faithful also in tithes and financial offerings as we give to the Lord. Um, Let that be from the heart as well. That we would give sacrificially, joyfully, in a way that's honoring to God. That shows that we trust Him. And we rely on Him for our thirst. Pastor Joe, would you lead us in prayer? Our Father, as we've heard now about the waters, the cool, refreshing waters. Waters like no other. Because you are like no other. Lord, as we, as we consider, even, even now, our own lives and recognize that, that we've barely tasted, that we've barely enjoyed, and there's so much more, so much more. Thank you, Father, for what you have given to us that we can give back to you a portion. May we, as we give of our offering, may we at the same time give of our hearts to you. Oh, gracious, wonderful God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.